image of how a boss is supposed to act is shaped by your experiences, the people you've worked with, the people you've worked for, the behaviors your organization rewards with promotions, and even the media, the characters you see in the movies, on TV, or even the business leaders running for public office. Let's face it, a lot of what we see is pretty heartless. It doesn't give you a warm, fuzzy feeling, and as a result, it often causes people to shun the role of soft skills in driving hard results because, well, they're soft, they're mushy, they're emotional, they're not data-driven, there's not hard data. But before we hang the garlic and drive a wooden stake into soft skills, I think it's worth exploring whether heart-based leadership is, in fact, an oxymoron or whether it can drive higher levels of performance and success than the traditional command and control style of leadership that, let's face it, we've all encountered somewhere in our careers. And if it does, how do you go from heartless to heart-based? Yeah, so many questions and so little time. And that's why I am so super psyched to have Stephanie Medilda as my special guest today. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Stephanie is president of Flashpoint International. She's an accomplished speaker, seminar leader, and executive and leadership coach with over 30 years of experience as both a business leader and business development professional. Her heart-based leadership is her mission and her passion, and through her work, she helps clients reduce employee turnover and absenteeism while also increasing productivity, engagement, and employee satisfaction by showing employers, business leaders, how to build more powerful relationships with their employees. She also holds three degrees, all from NC State University, a bachelor's in business management and economics, a master's in education focused and concentrated in adult education, and yet another master's in education in counseling. She's also an ICF certified professional coach. And that's why it is such a treat to have her here with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential, Stephanie. Good afternoon, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. And you know, I think there's a lot of interest in heart-based leadership, but a lot of people aren't quite sure what you mean by that. Why don't we start there? What is heart-based leadership? Well, heart-based leadership, and it's actually, I define it as, and I'll, let me tell you, I like to say the word love, so people tell me you can't say love in a business environment, and I don't believe that for a minute, but my definition is working with people and treating people in a way that they feel supported and that they develop um, relationships with the business such that they want to, that, you know, they want to step up. I say heart-based leadership is very much about having an unconditional, high positive regard for people, and it's about how you perceive them and how you treat them. That sounds like respect in a nutshell. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing about heart-based leadership that a lot of people don't understand is that it involves doing the right thing for both your employees and for the company. Well, I still think there's a little conflict or a little tension there. I mean, is it possible to have win-win? I mean, is heart-based leadership an oxymoron? That's that's really the big question here. Mm, I love that question. And, you know, the, the question you're asking me, Hannah, is really the thing that a lot of people are thinking, but they won't step up and say it. The truth is that most of us, see the organization, if, you know, if you're looking at it as an entity, we see an organization as a sociopath. It has one concern, the bottom line, right? And so, you know, people say, like, well, if, it, if it's not something that's related to profits, well, we're not going to care about it. And so if you look at, a, at an organization um, as, you know, as a sociopathic entity, then it's easy to say, you know, well, this is a joke, it's an oxymoron. You know, a lot of companies will say, well, our number one value is people. But unfortunately for a lot of those companies, that's really just a sign in the lobby. And what the people who work there know is that profit is above, you know, above people. And that's not to say that profit is a negative because it certainly keeps us all employed. But one thing that I want your listeners to remember is that organizations are led by people. And there is a growing groundswell of people who just really want to do the right thing. The other thing that um, I want you guys to remember is that people who feel that this is an oxymoron presuppose that heart-based leadership and profit are exclusive of each other. And the fact is that heart-based leadership can go hand-in-hand with the business being profitable. Well, that sounds good. And, and let's say I'm, I'm going to take the bait, all right, and that profit and heart-based leadership can go hand-in-hand. What is the biggest mm-hmm. concern that most leaders have about practicing heart-based leadership? It just seems that it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, there are a lot of concerns. I Hopefully during this next 30 minutes or so we can talk about some of the myths. But one of the things that I hear quite often is the argument that people say, I'd like to do this, but I'm afraid people will see me as weak or soft or too nice. And, you know, it's just, I think it's interesting that in our society lately, we have come to equate the word nice with weak. And it's really two different things. Heart-based leadership involves a balance of kindness and power. So you can absolutely, if necessary, um, maintain control in the situation. I think it is absolutely necessary for a supervisor to set expectations um, when those expectations are not being met, to provide discipline, either you know in the form of disciplinary disciplinary action, or you know even in terms of an appraisal system. And uh, I used to say to people all the time, I can fire somebody and still be nice. And so being nice does not mean being weak. Now here's something that I think is a little bit ironic. I have found over 30 years or so that too many managers provide no discipline at all anyway, even if they're not being nice. They have a fear of confrontation, um, so problem employees are passed on to other leaders. Um, they're overlooked. They are, you know, their poor behavior is, is uh, ignored or avoided. And I say to people, that is not loving to the company, and it's also not loving to other team members. So, you know, when people say, well, I'm afraid that I'll be seen as weak or too nice, 
Um, I think that that is a little bit ironic because you can be weak and wimpy and still not be nice. Being nice does not mean that you are not also powerful. That I can so agree with that, and and I relate actually because I have seen that, and I've also seen what happens on the on the backside of people not setting proper expectations. You know, it turns into lawsuits. They're mm-hmm. employees. Absolutely. I've seen so many occasions of leaders who, you know, ignore poor behavior partly because they're afraid of the confrontation or maybe they don't want to terminate somebody. And um, I, I actually worked with a woman a while ago, and, and she was ignoring the behavior of one employee. And I said, why are you doing that? And she said, well, uh, you know, he's very popular with the other employees, and I just don't want to make everybody angry. And Finally, it came to a head where she couldn't do anything but let him go. And ironically, when she fired him, the response of the rest of her team was, it's about time. (laughs) So your people are watching, and they see whether you're behaving in a fair, balanced nature. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you can't do it in a way that you're being kind. Exactly, exactly. I've seen people who can terminate an employee and actually turn it into a positive experience because chances are that employee isn't happy to begin with. They just don't know how to get out of the situation either. And by talking it through, whether it's another position within the same organization or even a change in team assignment, sometimes that could be the tweak or the adjustment that they need in order to perform better and for the whole team to function better. And if it mm-hmm. means leaving the organization, maybe it is a career adjustment or uh, a, you know, redefinition. That happens too. But having them have the conversation to know that it's okay, that takes a lot of pressure off. It's huge. And you're yeah. right, the rest of the team is definitely watching. Uh, you know, the thing that, that I have noticed, and, and you know, it's not always about firing somebody because I have had many employees who could have been perceived as problem employees. And I used to like to say, if they're a problem employee, you just need to love them harder. And um, I've seen many people who have turned themselves around and become ideal employees because they were treated with kindness and caring, and they knew you cared about them, and they knew that it mattered to you that they performed well and they would turn themselves around. So it doesn't always mean firing somebody. Sometimes it means giving them the chance to live up to your high positive expectation. Absolutely. Now, the thing is, you talked before a little bit about kindness being perceived as weakness. There's another dimension to that kindness thing about friendship and perhaps getting too close to an employee and balancing that a manager or supervisor's responsibility to the organization. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? How do you advise people to balance that? Yeah, that that's a really tough situation, Hannah, because when we are kind with people, you do tend to build relationships, and you want a relationship. So it's sort of a tough balancing act because you also have to set boundaries and maintain respect and have a certain amount of clarity about who is in charge. Now, you know, the interesting thing about this is that it can sometimes be difficult because when you are a heart-based leader, quite often you are empowering your team, which means that you might not necessarily be sitting there with, you know, with a a ball cap on that says, I'm in charge. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of shared leadership that's involved with that. But it certainly is about maintaining respect and maintaining boundaries. Now, one of the things that I will tell you is that I think it's very important 
when you're kind with people, and you do re- develop relationships, one of the things that I think is key to being a heart-based leader is maintaining or building rapport with people. And so knowing them, knowing who they are, knowing what's going on with them, and to an extent revealing yourself so that they know you as a person. They know who you are. Now, that does not mean that you go in there and you you know, air all your dirty laundry or tell them all your deep secrets, you know, that kind of thing. But I think one key is that you attempt to maintain an equal relationship with all your employees. In other words, you don't treat some like they're more like your friends and others that are not. You have to maintain the same level of relationship with all the people in your department. You know, one of the things that I would say, Hannah, is that there, in the past, I'm sure people have had experiences of seeing, you know, coworkers who they thought was the teacher's pet, so to speak, you know, the, the manager's favorite or whatever. That um, was a problem even before we started talking about heart-based leadership. So heart-based leadership doesn't necessarily cause that imbalance, but you're right. Once I care about you, once I am looking at you in a way that sees you as a person, um, it's actually hard not to develop a level of friendship. But I think you do have to keep some boundaries. And I was thinking about that a while ago. And, you know, I realize it's kind of, although I would never equate your employees with your children, but it's it's kind of like, I always say, you know, your mom, you know your mom loves you, but you still know she's in charge. <laughs> so I think it comes down to that, is that you know that your supervisor um, or your manager cares about you, that cares about, you know, what's going on in your life and, and in your job, but you also have that level of still know that you're in charge. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because honestly, that person who's in charge is also the person that tends to take the heat. And a lot of employees would rather have you being the one up there taking the heat. So it is just a matter of being conscious of how far that relationship's gone and remembering that for most of us it is still a professional relationship. I think you put your finger on it with that, and that it is about professionalism and maintaining appropriate boundaries, but yet still caring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I think what some people might be concerned about is, okay, I care about my employees. I don't just view them as numbers and headcount. <laughs> that is so depersonalizing, although I realize there's a role for that kind of analysis on occasion. But when you start to recognize that they're people, that they have families that are depending on their, on their incomes and so forth, it becomes a different story. Now, the thing is, on that spectrum, on that continuum, how do you keep from having employees take advantage of you? Wow, that's such a great question, Hannah, because, you know, on one level, uh, we have to recognize that that while we try to treat all of our employees the same or, you know, with, with the same amount of respect, some people are going to have more needs than others. But, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that we sometimes, it's actually another myth that people say to me, you know, I'm afraid that if I'm nice to people or kind to people, they're going to take advantage of me. And that is not necessarily the case. So I always like to say, just because you're nice or kind does not mean you're stupid. And so, uh, you know, the other thing, the other adage that I like to say when talking about people taking advantage of you is some will, some won't. And the, the key to that, I think, is being present with your employees and knowing what's going on so often you know, it, for us as leaders, one of the things I think that's really hard in our job is most of us not only 
manage these employees, but have other work that we're responsible for, you know, as well. And so quite often I see people that I would term absent leaders. You know, yeah, you report to me, but you very rarely see me. And, you know, because I got all this, I have meetings to be in. I have stuff I have to do. Well, the truth is you have to be present to what's going on in your department. You have to know who's doing what and that kind of thing. So I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier, which is being nice and kind does not mean that you are a win. And that's one thing that I have found, which is is a little bit of an irony, is that when people like and respect you, most of the time, and I say most of the time because I recognize it's not everybody, but most of the time they will not take advantage of you. It's almost that respect for you holds them back from respecting you. And the other thing that's interesting is when they care about you, they, it's almost like they have your back. They watch out for you. So let's say that you have a team of people that are you know, trusting you and respecting you. They show up every day. They do a good job. Um, they complain as little as possible. You know, they bring up legitimate complaints. They complain very little. But if there's one person on the team, let's say, that is um, using you or taking advantage of you, quite often the other team members will pull that person back in line because they are aware that that person is taking advantage of you. And so, you know, we worry about, well, if I'm friendly with my employees or, you know, if I'm kind to my employees, somebody's going to take advantage of me. And I just have to say, you know, in the reality of the work world, there are always going to be those people, whether you're being, you know, leading from your heart or not, there's always going to be those people that want to take advantage of you. But the truth is, when people like and respect you, they are less likely to take advantage of you, not more likely. That's interesting. But it also comes back to the whole leadership question of being able to draw the line to say, I recognize someone's taking advantage, and here's the expectation, here's the boundary, and this is why we're not going to cross it. So Mm -hmm. being able to say no, being able to say no. I find it fascinating how often the essence of what you're talking about comes down to the presence of trust and respect Mm -hmm. and mutual trust and respect. So that's, I think, a really interesting dynamic in helping to make this work. I think there was a reference earlier about how heart-based leadership actually increases and improves performance. Tell me a little (laughs) bit about that. Why would a leader want to practice heart-based leadership? Let me start first with your, you know, with your statement about improving performance. You know, it's interesting that um, we all want to do a good job. I, I really think, kind of, that nobody gets up in the morning and says, I, w- I want to go to work and do a bad job. <laughs> you know, but unfortunately, when people come to work, if they're in an environment where they feel disrespected, they feel beaten down, and, and I'm sorry to say, but that is not everybody's work environment, but it is many people's work environment. And so a, a number of things happen. So when you don't feel that you have been respected, you know, in terms of productivity. I always joke about, you know, people's productivity is lowered because they're standing around the coffee maker complaining about you, you know. (laughs) But, they, you know, you'll find that people are less eager to get to work. Sometimes they drag in late. They watch the clock. They're ready to go home, you know, and, and they don't necessarily feel enthusiastic about the work that they're doing. So once you work with somebody and you've developed a respect, and they really like you, and they feel good about what they're doing, you know, they're more likely to show up on time, they're more likely to stay later, they work together, they, you know, people want to see the team, you know, they want to see the team perform, and so they step up to help each other. So, you know, heart-based leadership really keys onto what you were saying before, the, the respect, and also 
making each person feel valued. And when people feel valued, they invest more of themselves and what they're doing. I remember once a long time ago, I, I was walking through a manufacturing facility and I was I saw this piece of equipment into my mind, and I'm not the expert, but it didn't look like it was running well. And I, I stopped and I said to the operators, is that what it's supposed to do? Is you know supposed to be doing that? And he said, not really. And I said, have you told anybody about it? And he looked at me for a minute, and then he said, they don't care what I think. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, so here is this piece of equipment not running efficiently, and the operator is not reporting it because his feeling is they don't care what I think. So certainly, you know, when you are a heart-based leader, it definitely leads to a higher productivity. But, you you know, kind of like the second half of your question, you said, why would a leader want to practice heart-based leadership, and I really think it comes down to three things. And the first thing is, you know, just from a moral standpoint, for me, it is the right thing to do. We've often been told that we should love our neighbors as ourselves or, you know, the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have others do unto you. To a certain extent, extent, treating people with human dignity and kindness is just the right thing to do. The second reason, which I love, is that it actually makes your job easier. So, you know, as a supervisor, as a leader, when you're dealing with people who like you, you know, I, I will tell you that I've said many times that when you love your people, they will love you back. And when they do, they will walk on hot coals to give you what you need. And the truth is, when people respect you, when they like working for you, your whole work environment becomes more positive, that you're happy to see each other, you're happy to support each other. And so it actually makes your job easier. I think also a lot of supervisors can think about you don't have a good relationship with your team. And and this is interesting to me that there are studies that show that the way that you treat your team becomes the way that they treat each other. So if you treat them poorly, they sort of backstab and you know treat each other poorly. But if you treat them well, they begin to treat each other well. And that gives you a highly functioning team. So you have less people coming to you complaining. You have less people doing things that you know, sabotage each other and, and whatever. It generally makes your job easier. And then the third reason I think comes back to what you were saying in terms of productivity, it has a positive impact to your bottom line. So there are, and I want to key on that for just a minute because there are so many benefits, you know, and we tend to think it's not a bottom line, that one of the biggest myths I hear people say is, oh, this is a touchy-feely subject and doesn't impact the bottom line. But, you know, the truth is that when you are treating people well, well, I want to go back to say that There have been many studies that show the number one reason that most people leave a job is a bad manager or a bad relationship with their manager. So, you know, when you treat people well, it reduces turnover, it reduces absenteeism, increases productivity and engagement, and generally tends to make your team function better. Now, there's also one other thing that I want to bring up, Hannah, and actually this was something I learned from you. Not everybody who is a poor leader is a bully, but there is a lot of that going on. And so it was interesting to me to learn that more than half the states in the U.S. have current or pending legislation about bullying. So when you think about the impact to your bottom line, you know, if if it becomes a fact that people can sue you for bullying them, and a lot of that does go on, then that does have an impact to your bottom line. So I think three good reasons. You know, it's the right thing to do. It makes your job easier, and it has a positive impact on your bottom line. Terrific reasons. Now... Here comes the tough part, Stephanie. 
if, if I've been a hard ass in the office, but I'm, I'm interested in that bottom line, and what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me, how do I go from heartless to heart-based? What are the most common mistakes you see managers do, supervisors, even CEOs, when trying to exercise heart-based leadership? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. You know, one of the things that I will tell you is that it's, it's not as, this is not as hard to do as you might think. Now, if you have been historically um, a hard ass, you're going to have, you know, a little bit of relationship building to do. And that can be hard because I think I've, I heard it said one time by Maya Angelou, when people show you who they are, believe them. So if you have been coming into work, and you've been hard on people or bullying people or whatever, you have some repair work to do, and um, it, but it's not impossible. So I, the number one thing that you need to do is to make a decision, make a decision that you're going to turn over a new leaf. And honestly, I have, uh, you know, one of the things, just in a, in a personal promotional plug, I work with managers who are in that boat. And you may need a little support. You may need someone to talk to so that you can talk through your ideas. But, you know, the bottom line is that you start first by choosing that this is the way that you now want to run your business. And then you start to look at, assess the current situation and say what needs to be repaired. If you've been really, you know, if you've you've been, uh, you know, really mean, really mean on it, it may even involve sitting down with people and apologizing and saying, you know, I'd like to take a different approach to our relationship you know, that type of thing, which would be a very hard thing for someone to do. In terms of the, the biggest mistake, but I will tell you this, that people people heal and they trust. And, and if you really step up and show yourself to be, you know, it's not just lip service, but you say, you know, I want a new relationship. I want to, you know, give more involvement to you. I want to give more recognition to you. Then over time, people will start to trust you and you can turn that situation around. You ask, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make? I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make when they're, you know, when they're supervising and trying to make a transition is a failure to balance their involvement. You know, on one hand, you need to step up when you're needed. And so people who, who allow things to continue on the status quo and don't step up are not doing a, a service for the company or for their employees. Now, you can switch all the way to the other hand and say, there are some people that need to step back because certainly, you know, they're micromanaging or they're, you know, whatever, and so you have to communicate a certain level of trust in people. If you don't feel that your people are capable, then you need to have, you know, be sure that they're, they're getting training and they're, you're developing them. But, you know, so balancing between the need to step up when you're needed and to step back when you're not needed, I think quite often leaders don't see how to do that. They don't do it well. And then... The other thing that I think is a huge mistake is buying into those old methods, the things that you've already mentioned, you know, that thought that you have to be tough and believing that you can't be kind and powerful. And, and um, you know, I, don't, I think you and I probably grew up in a similar era, you know, where they where people said, my way or the highway or, you know, kick behinds and take names you know, and that kind of thing. And honestly, that type of leadership, um, that old method of leadership is fast becoming something that people no longer embrace. And so, you know, I think that buying into the old method and thinking you have to be tough is absolutely not the best way to go about leading. Interesting. I appreciate those insights. So much of it comes back to trust, and trust, if it's, if it's broken, isn't rebuilt overnight. 
Yes, absolutely. So I see our time is winding down here, and I was wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners. And This is a big topic. We could probably keep going and provide more and more examples for the next hour, but I know everybody's time is valuable. What would be a parting thought? Well, um, there's a couple things, Hannah, that I would mention. And the first thing, and I so appreciate you having me today because I hope that we've helped to dispel some misinterpretations and misperceptions. The truth is that contrary to being wimpy, heart-based leadership, in my opinion, is actually the most powerful leadership strategy you will ever learn. As I mentioned before, if people feel that you care about them, they're going to put everything on the line for you. So, so keep that in mind. Uh, you know, love is a powerful strategy. I will tell you also that this concept is trending. So, you know, two years ago when I started talking about this, people looked at me like I was crazy. You know, and they would say, "I had one guy tell me. He said, you know, you can get fired for for doing that where I work." And I talked about leading with love. You can get fired for that. I said, if you can get fired for it, you're either not working in the right place or you're doing it wrong. But, um, you know, two years ago, a lot of people thought this was a foreign concept. And today, if you go online and Google, you know, heart-based leadership or leading with love, you will find lots and lots of articles and lots and lots of people jumping on the bandwagon to say, let's do it this way. I also want to remind your listeners that heart-based leadership is not necessarily a new idea. I mean, if you think back to the book about how to win friends and influence people, you know, that was many, many decades ago, and yet it was still about being kind. You know, and even back as far as biblical times when we talked about do unto others, you know, this is not a brand-new concept. What's new is applying it in the business world. And then I would say, lastly, you know, my last parting thought is, this is not rocket science. A lot of, you know, if you said to me, tell me some of the keys, what are the things I need to do, what I would tell you would be common sense, but unfortunately it's not often common practice. So true, because common sense is not that common. (laughs) You know, it's it's sad, but it's every lawsuit I've ever dealt with. If you were to to rewind the video to the beginning and to see what went wrong, what caused the triggers and what caused things to escalate and inflame people to the point of suing, you'd say, well, you know, this was not rocket science, but it happened, and it cost people a lot Mm -hmm. of money. And in, in the case of management, people working in an environment that is not functioning with heart-based leadership, it's stressful. And Mm -hmm. people that burn out faster, I can definitely relate. But showing that you Mm -hmm. care, because like you said, most people don't wake up saying, gee, how can I screw up on the job today? They want to do a good job. If you can Mm -hmm. help them do that, like you said, it's win-win all the way around because people want to succeed and be part of something bigger. And I'm so grateful that you've given some people some tips today on how to do that, how to achieve that. And if they wanted to contact you for more information, Stephanie, what would be a good way for them to do that? You know, the biggest thing I would say, Hannah, is that you can contact me. My website and my and my email are the same. So the business name is Flashpoint International. The URL is exactly all of that spelled out. So it's very long, F-L-A-S-H. P-O-I-N-T, international spelled out, dot com. That is the website. And my email is Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at flashpointinternational.com. Terrific, terrific. Well, thank you so much. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business M-O-L-L-C. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. 
You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.